Welcome to our study on exploring end time events. This week we are looking at the imminent return of Christ. You know, scripture predicted a time when skeptics would mock the very notion of Christ's return. In 2 Peter 3, 3-4, it says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Where is the promise of his coming? Ladies, we are going to be answering that question today. We will see through scripture the blessed hope of Christ's return. Now, as we discussed in an earlier class, there are two separate events where Christ will return. Remember, there is the rapture of the church, which takes place before the tribulational period. And then there is the second coming of Christ, which takes place before the millennial period. So today, we're going to be concentrating on the rapture of the church. Now, when we talk about the rapture of the church, remember, we are talking about the church. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior into their hearts. Now remember, we are living in the church age from the time of Pentecost until now. That's why we are called the church. This is the church age. So we who have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior will physically leave the earth and meet Christ in the air. Ladies, the exciting part of this is that Christ can come at any moment. It says in Mark chapter 13, verses 32 to 33, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. From the very earliest days of the church, the apostles and the first generation Christians nurtured an earnest expectation and fervent hope that Christ might suddenly return at any time to gather his church to heaven. Let's look over at James chapter 5 and look at verses 7 through 9. It says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and later rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And then Peter, well, he echoed the same expectation when he wrote 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, where it says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. You can clearly see that we need to be watching. We need to be ready. We need to be serious about our walk. And then in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, 
and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, ladies, there is also a mystery to the rapture. Let's look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and look at verse 51. Here Paul declares, Behold, I show you a mystery. What is this mystery? Now, let us suppose that you began reading the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. And you read this through 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, if you stopped your reading right there, you would really already know some facts, right? Some very important facts, such as the creation, man's sin, the flood. You would know about Bethlehem and Calvary and the resurrection and the existence of heaven and hell, right? But you would be forced to conclude that a Christian could get to heaven only after physically dying. Well, you know, of course, you would note two exceptions. There was Enoch in Genesis 5.24 and Elijah in 2 Kings 2.11 who were both translated up to heaven without dying. But apart from these, it would be clear that believers have to travel the path of the grave to reach the goal to glory. So, what is this mystery? Well, the secret is out. Here it is. Millions, ladies, millions of Christians will someday reach heaven without dying. It goes on in verse 51 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. Ladies, this is the mystery of the rapture. There will be millions of Christians who will not have to die. When the Lord comes, those who are alive will be raptured. They will be taken to heaven physically without having to die. Oh, ladies, the knowledge that Christ could come at any moment should motivate us to live lives that are pleasing to God. Peter Lalonde, producer of the Left Behind movie, had this to say about the imminency of Christ's return. Please listen to what he has to say. I think the entire idea that we have discussed and have been in agreement here is imminency. The Lord could come at any moment. There's nothing that has to precede it at any moment. We don't have to wait for some invasion from the north or some other thing that's going to tick off the time when it is. We have to be ready and living and expectant at all times. And, you know, some people say, well, why study prophecy? Why study all of this stuff? The post-tribbers say, why get on all this rapture stuff? If the Lord comes, he comes. If he doesn't, he doesn't. You know, we'll both go anyway. We're both believers, and they're right. I'm just concerned they'll have a heart attack on the way up, you know. But the fact of the matter is, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, what will be the sign of thy coming in the end of this age? He gave them great detail. He said, didn't say, don't worry about it. If I come, I come. It was great detail. We're to be expectant at all times. And what we see now in the world today are signs of the second coming of Christ, which is seven years after the rapture. And if those signs are beginning to come to pass, how much closer the rapture must be? So that gives us a sense of urgency. But it's always been imminent since the time of Christ. And we're to just be excited and expectant because in a moment, 
If we as Christians could come to grips with this, in a moment we'll be in the presence of our Lord forever, how differently it would transform our lives. And I think that's what the teaching is there for. Christ's return is imminent. And as Christians, if we can just come to grips with this, like Peter Lalonde said, that in a moment it could be this very second that we are talking right now. In a moment, we will be in the presence of our Lord forever. Think about how differently that would transform our lives. Ladies, that is the goal of this class, that it would transform our lives into living for the Lord, not for ourselves, not for what we can gain on this earth, but for the Lord. Let's turn over to John chapter 14. And look at verses 1 through 3. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Here we have, Jesus is gathered with his disciples in the upper room. It's the night before he goes to the cross. And he had just been warning them at the end of chapter 13 that he is going to leave them soon. And the disciples were very troubled over this. So the promise here of the rapture of the church is clearly emphasized in these verses. So how do we know that this is referring to the rapture of the church and not the second coming after the end of the Great Tribulation. Well, let's hear what Dr. Renald Showers has to say about this. Well, for one thing, he indicates here that when he comes, he will receive uh, the believers unto himself. Notice, in this coming, he's not coming uh, uh, to... uh, Uh, come down to where they are and live where they are. In other words, he's not the only one that's going to be moving here. He's going to be removing them from where they are to be where he is. And so he says here, uh, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And then notice the purpose of this coming. It's a purpose clause that where I am, there you may be also. He's saying here, the whole purpose of my coming in this particular coming I'm referring to, is so that you can be where I am, not so that I can be where you are. So he's not saying, I'm going to, in this coming, come so I can live where you are on the face of the earth, but I'm going to come in this coming so that you can be where I am, namely, in the Father's house. And the very fact that he ties this promise in with the concept that he's going to be preparing dwelling places for them in the Father's house in heaven strongly infers that when he receives them to himself, he's going to take them back to live with him in those dwelling places in the Father's house in heaven. This is definitely a rapture passage. Now you remember on our timeline how we showed that the rapture, that we're going to meet Jesus in the air, right? That he does not come all the way down to the earth. You notice that the arrow goes up. Whereas in the second coming of Christ, he comes all the way down to earth. And notice on the chart that the arrow goes down. 
Also, in the rapture, we go to meet Jesus in the air to dwell with him. Remember, we're going to be dwelling with him at his father's house in the, in the accommodations that he has prepared for us in those many mansions. And yet, in the second coming of Christ, we are coming down from heaven with Christ. So, this passage here is clearly a rapture passage. And remember, there's a lot of different views out there that do not believe in the rapture. But in Scripture, we definitely believe that this supports the rapture view. Now, let's listen to prophecy scholar Dr. Ed Heinzen as he discusses John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Please listen. We'll turn to the Gospel of John, to the 14th chapter. And notice in that chapter, Jesus is about to go to the cross. This is the last night. This is the night of the Last Supper. When he meets with the disciples and he says this, Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house, he's talking about heaven, there are many mansions or many palatial rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go now to prepare a place for you. Notice how personal the text is here. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is using the language of the Jewish wedding to illustrate his relationship to the disciples. And he's saying to them, I'm getting ready to go to the Father's house just like a bridegroom would make a commitment to the bride to marry her, leave, go back to his Father's house, add some rooms to the house or build a house for the bride uh, so that he has a place to take her one day and then come back for her, consummate the marriage and take her home to the Father's house. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about in this passage of Scripture. So that you and I have the anticipation of the fact that when Jesus comes again, He is coming uniquely for His own. I will come for you. The promise of the rapture of the church, I think, is clearly emphasized in that passage of Scripture. That Jesus is not only coming back one day in the return to judge the world, Ah, but he's coming in the rapture to take the bride home to the Father's house. If he's been gone now for nearly 2,000 years, preparing a place for us, imagine what it must be like. If God could create the world in six days, as beautiful as it is, even under the curse of sin, imagine what your heavenly home is like. He's been working on it for all these centuries. It is beyond description. It is beyond human imagination. A Savior that loves you that much is worthy of your heart and your soul and your life and your commitment. As Dr. Heinzen said, a Savior that loves you that much is worthy of your heart, your soul, your life, and your commitment. Ladies, He is worthy of all of this. And notice that Dr. Heinzen mentioned how Christ used the language of the Jewish wedding to illustrate what will take place in these verses. I'd like you to listen to the late Zola Levitt. He was a Messianic Jew, 
And when my husband and I went to Israel and Greece, we went with their ministry. Listen to Zola as he describes a Jewish wedding. Please listen. Yes, it's, it's a very romantic statement. Uh, every, every culture had its own custom of matrimony. In, in Israel and Jesus' time, a, a wedding was a two-part thing. There was a going away. First, the bridegroom came to the bride, and he brought a contract of marriage. Uh, that was the first date, a <laughs> proposal. There was no dating under Jewish law. <laughs> oh, they thought nothing of marrying strangers. In Fiddler on the Roof, it says, uh, the first time I saw you was on our wedding day, one of the songs. Uh, Rebecca married a stranger. Yeah. Uh, really, the, the bridegroom comes and brings a contract, uh, money, a price for the bride. That was the custom. And he pours a cup for her. If she'll pick up that cup and drink it, as they did at the Passover table that night of John 14, uh, then, then it's yes. But he doesn't say, then come with me, and they go to the rabbi and get married. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. He leaves, he goes back to his father's house, and he builds her a little mansion, a bridal chamber, for their honeymoon. His father's the judge on when this is done, so... If you ask the young man when is the big day, he would say, I don't know, only my father knows. There's many clues in Scripture that the Lord uh, uh, did all these things and on purpose. We're in the going away. <laughs> He's building this mansion in heaven. You characterized it perfectly. It's a honeymoon chamber. It's, it's a bridal chamber. And when his father says the time is right, then he will come and, as you said, like a thief. Uh, it is sudden, but it's not... Unexpected. The bride is, is engaged. She's been going around getting her trousseau. Uh, you asked how, what it had to do with the pre-tribulation rapture, and it has everything yep. to do with it, because, very simply, if the rapture were at the end when the Lord arrives, the honeymoon would be before the wedding. It's, it can't be. Now, ladies, I don't want you to miss the impact of what Christ is saying here. So with the help of Dr. Renald Showers, I would like to break the wedding ceremony down to show the full picture of Christ's first coming to his second coming. This is really fascinating. And I really think that we will see God's ultimate plan unfold as we look through the analogy of how the Jewish people conducted their wedding in Bible times. So let's begin. Please listen to Dr. Renald Showers. First major step in a Jewish wedding between a young man and a young woman in Bible times was the establishment of a marriage covenant. The Jews called the establishment of such a covenant betrothal or espousal. Usually the way that covenant would be established was as follows. The groom would leave his father's house and travel to the home of his prospective bride. By analogy... Jesus, over 1,900 years ago, left his father's house in heaven and traveled to the home of his prospective bride, the church here on planet Earth. When the Jewish bridegroom would arrive at the bride's home, uh, he would come for the purpose of establishing a marriage covenant. And uh, in order to establish that covenant, he had to pay a purchase price. Jewish young men had to buy their wives in Bible times. By analogy, when Jesus came in his first coming to the earth, he also came for the purpose of establishing a covenant, a covenant through which he would obtain his bride, the church. And the, the covenant that he came to establish is the one that the Bible calls the new covenant. 
And he did that when he died on the cross. And he too had to pay a purchase price in order to establish that covenant and, it, and through that purchase price to obtain his bride, the church. The purchase price that Jesus had to pay was the shedding of his own life blood. That's why Paul at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, What? No, you're not. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit. Okay. So notice here that the Jewish bridegroom comes to the bride's home to establish a marriage covenant. In order to establish that covenant, he had to pay a purchase price for his bride, right? Now, I want you to see this. Jesus Christ, as the bridegroom, came physically to earth. This was his first coming, where he came to his bride's home, which is the church, us, right? He came to our home, to the earth, to establish a covenant. He too, ladies, had to pay a price for us when he shed his blood and died on the cross at Calvary. So let's listen to the next step with Dr. Showers. After the, the Jewish bridegroom had established the marriage covenant at the bride's home and thereby had obtained his bride to be his wife, he would leave her at her home and would return to his father's house and they would remain separated for a period of time, normally for approximately one year. And during that year of separation, the Jewish bridegroom would be busily engaged in his father's house preparing living accommodations to which he could bring his bride later on. By analogy, Jesus, uh, less than two months after he established the new covenant through the shedding of his blood on the cross of Calvary, left the home of his prospective bride, the church here on planet Earth, and on the day of his ascension, he returned to his father's house in heaven, and he's been away ever since. And you and I right now are living in the period of separation between the time of his departure and the time of his return. And as he promises here in John 14, while he is away from us in the Father's house in heaven right now, he's busily engaged preparing living accommodations or mansions to which he can bring his bride to church later on. This sound familiar? Look at John chapter 14, 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Here, in the Jewish wedding, once the covenant has been established, right, the, the bride and groom they do not set a date. They don't go to the rabbi and they don't get married. No, the bridegroom leaves the bride's home, leaves her with her father, and he returns to his father's house where he prepares accommodations, a bridal chamber to bring his bride to at a later date. Now notice in John chapter 14 verse 2 that Jesus is saying that he is going to his father's house to prepare a place for us. This is the stage, ladies, that we are in right now. Jesus came, right? He paid the price on the cross for us. And now he has returned to his Father's house in heaven and is preparing a place for us. 
Let's continue with Dr. Showers. The Jewish bridegroom at the end of the year of separation would come on an unannounced night uh, to take his bride to be with him. The bride never knew exactly what night he would come. Uh, she knew it would be some night near the end of the year of separation, but she never knew exactly when. And so, on that unannounced night, the Jewish bridegroom would call to himself at his father's house uh, his best man and other male escorts. And together, those young men would begin a torchlight procession through the streets of the city from the groom's father's house over to the home of the bride. Here was the bridegroom coming to take his bride to be with him. As those young men would be weaving their way through the streets of the city, bystanders, recognizing what was happening, would pick up a shout, Behold, the bridegroom comes. And that shout would be carried from block to block to block until finally it would arrive at the bride's home. The major purpose of that shout was to forewarn the bride to the effect that she'd better get ready in a hurry because tonight was the night and her groom was already on his way to take her to be with him. As soon as she would hear that shout, she'd send out word to her bridesmaids to come to her home, get her dressed in her bridal garment and all prepared because this was the night. Now, by analogy, the Bible teaches that at the end of the present period of separation from Christ in which we are now living, Jesus, too, will come. Uh, from the Father's house in heaven toward the earth, toward the home of his bride here on the earth at an unannounced time. Baba makes it clear that nobody living on planet earth knows exactly when the Lord Jesus will come for his bride, the church. It's an imminent event. It could happen at any moment. In fact, it could even happen today. And the scriptures also teach by analogy that when Jesus will come at that unannounced time for his bride, he too will come with an escort. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 refers to one great archangel who apparently will be the escort for the Lord Jesus from the Father's house in heaven. And this, Paul also indicates in 1 Thessalonians 4 that just as the Jewish bridegroom's coming was accompanied by a loud shout, so Jesus' coming will be accompanied by a loud shout. And I surmise that the content of that shout will be the same. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Ladies, this is the rapture. Our Lord is coming. We need to be ready. As it says in Matthew 24, verse 44, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We need to be ready, because we don't know when he's coming. In the scripture, it talks about the trumpet. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verse 52, it says, In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And then look over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. And it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump, trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So how do we understand this in light of the rapture? Dr. Dwight Pentecost writes, The phrase, the trump of God, is significant. For in the Old Testament, the trump was used for two things. To summon to battle and to summon to worship. So, which of these two meanings are involved with the rapture. Well, Dr. Pentecost suggests that both meanings are in mind. 
one directed towards the angels and the other towards the believers. Now, with the angels, they are prepared for battle because we all know Satan will not be happy when the church is raptured up. And so he may try to stop us, right? So it will be the angels who will help clear the way. So God's telling them, prepare for battle because we are going to clear the area so the church can be raptured up. And then, as the believers, we are called to worship. Oh, ladies, when the, when the trumpet sounds and we are raptured up, we are going to be worshiping with Jesus Christ forever. We will worship him. What an awesome picture. Hearing the call to come home. Well, let's continue with Dr. Ronald Showers as he continues to break down the Jewish wedding ceremony. Please listen. Now, interestingly, when the Jewish bridegroom came on that unannounced night, he and his male escorts would wait outside the bride's home till she was ready, and then she and her bridesmaids would come out of her home and meet her groom and his male escorts in the streets of the city. By analogy, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when Jesus comes for his bride, the church, he will not come the whole way down to planet earth where his bride is living. He will stop outside the earth in the air and wait there, and then his bride, the church, will come out and meet him in the streets of the city. After the Jewish bride would come out of her home uh, with her bridesmaids and meet her uh, bridegroom and his male escorts, now the enlarged wedding party would have a return torchlight procession back to the groom's father's house. By analogy, uh, after uh, Jesus has caught up his bride, the church, from the earth to meet him in the air, we are convinced in light of this passage in John 14 that he will return with his bride uh, from the air above the earth back to his father's house in heaven to begin living in the living accommodations he's prepared there. So here we have again the glorious picture of the rapture where the church will meet Christ in the air and go to heaven to begin living in the accommodations that he has prepared for us. So let's hear Dr. Showers as he concludes the analogy of a Jewish wedding ceremony. After the Jewish bride and groom arrived at the groom's father's house, uh, they went into hiding uh, privately into a room that the Jewish people called the hoopah. In English, that means the bridal chamber. And there in the privacy of that room, they would enter into physical union with each other for the first time and thereby consummate their marriage. Now, intriguingly, uh, they would stay hidden in that bridal chamber for seven days. Uh, this is known, therefore, in the Jewish Encyclopedia as the seven days of the bridal chamber. And then at the end of the seventh day, the groom would come out of hiding from the bridal chamber and he would bring his bride out of hiding with him out in the open with her veil removed so that everyone could see who his bride truly was. Now, by analogy with this aspect of the Jewish marriage customs, after Jesus and his bride, the church, will arrive by rapture uh, at his father's house in heaven, he and his bride will also go into hiding for a period of seven, but in this instance for seven years. For while the seven-year tribulation period will be transpiring down here on planet earth, Jesus and his bride, the church, will be hidden away from the view of everyone who's still living down here. They will be hidden away in the father's house in heaven. 
But finally, at the end of the seventh year of the tribulation period, Christ will come out of hiding from the Father's house in heaven in his glorious second coming, this time the whole way down to planet earth to take over the rule of the earth on behalf of God. And when he will come out of hiding at that time, he will bring his bride out of hiding with him from the Father's house in heaven, now out in the open on full public display so that everyone who's still living here on planet earth can see who his bride, the church, truly is. This analogy which Jesus inferred indicates a pre-tribulation rapture of the church before the seven-year tribulation period begins. Ladies, how exciting is that? Christ is coming to meet us in the air, to take us home, to live with him. Notice that it shows that there will be a seven-year period. Ladies, we are going to be living in the accommodations that Christ has prepared for us for those seven years. And then it clearly shows that after that seven-year period, the bridegroom will bring his bride out of hiding at his father's house in heaven for everyone to see who his bride truly is. Ladies, this is the second coming of Christ, which we will study in a later class. How amazing to see the analogy of a Jewish wedding ceremony and how it shows the events that take place from the first coming of Christ until the second coming. Ladies, God has a plan and the purpose for each event that takes place. He is in total control. He will fulfill that plan in the end days. Oh, how blessed we are to be a part of this blessed experience. As I said in the beginning, if we can come to grips with this, that in a moment we will be in the presence of our Lord forever, think how differently it would transform our lives. The little things of life, they, won't, they just won't matter anymore. It should make us want to live for Christ, live godly lives for Him daily, looking for His coming. In closing, please listen to Dr. Ed Heinzen. Again, the question is, are we going to be ready to meet him when he comes? Uh, it's one thing to say, well, I, I know about Jesus. It's another thing to say that I know him personally. Uh, it's one thing to say, I know he's the Savior. It's another thing to say, I know that he's my Savior. Now, let me share something with you from my heart to yours that I think will be helpful to you. You may have for years attended a church. You may have even read parts of the Bible from time to time. You may have some knowledge of Christian teaching and thinking, and yet it may all be simply in your head. Uh, it may all just be a routine that you go through uh, in a form, in a function, and it's never changed your heart. You see, the Savior who came into this world came to win the bride over to the bridegroom so that one day He could take us to the Father's house. He came into this world to go to the cross, uh, to die for our sins, to rise from the dead, uh, to ascend into heaven, and ultimately to come back again one day. 
I think of that promise again that Jesus made those disciples in the upper room on the last night before He went to the cross when He said, Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be upset about what's about to happen. I'm making you a commitment. If I go back to heaven, to the Father's house, I will come again for you. He said that to the eleven believing disciples. Judas had already left the room. And to those eleven believing disciples, He said... I'm coming for you. That's the message of Bible prophecy. As we're studying these amazing prophecies of the end times, ultimately prophecy is a message that calls us into a relationship with Christ. You see, the marriage relationship is the picture, the illustration of the spiritual relationship, the bond that Jesus wants to have with you personally. And I I appreciate the fact that you love the teaching of Bible prophecy. You're excited about what is going to happen in the future. But could I remind you, what's really important is who is coming in the future. Jesus is coming again. The one who loved you. The one that died for you. The one that rose for you. The one who wants to know you on a personal, intimate basis. He's the one that's coming again. And if you have never really come to know Him in that regard, you've never really become a follower of Christ, a committed believer in a spiritual marriage commitment to Him, it's time today to say yes to Him. Just as the bride has to sooner or later say yes to the bridegroom, I will marry you. You and I need to come to the place where we ultimately say yes to Jesus Christ. I will love you. I will submit to you. I will give my heart and life and soul to you. And when you do, it's the greatest experience that you could ever have in your entire life. Ladies, as Dr. Heinzen said, what is really important is knowing who is coming. Jesus Christ is coming for his bride. Christ is coming and He can come at any moment. I want to get this across. Ladies, there is nothing that needs to happen before He can come. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will not be taken up in the rapture. You will go through the seven-year tribulational period where there will be judgment, calamities, that are so horrific. But ladies, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be going to heaven to be with the Lord in the rapture. This is where we begin to start to see our prophetic timeline expand. There are two separate events going on simultaneously after the rapture of the church. And next week we are going to be seeing What we will be doing during this seven-year period while we live in the accommodations that Jesus has prepared for us while the others are going through the tribulational period. I have enjoyed studying God's Word with you as we look at the imminent return of Jesus Christ. I pray that this has been a blessing to your life. Until next time, God bless.